0: Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Jesus Calling Podcast, featuring multiple guests who have appeared in their own episodes on the Jesus Calling Podcast speaking to the topic of grief. We hope you find encouragement, comfort, and healing as you listen to mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, and children who have lost someone close to them, how they leaned on God as they coped with the loss, and how, with His help, they were able to move forward. We'll start with a thought from Maddie Jackson Selectman daughter of country music legend alan jackson
1: it's funny whenever people ask me about ben i'm like i wonder how long it's going to take for my physical reaction not to just be to grin because honestly he just anyone who knew him like he had the most energy and, and the way i always describe it is he truly had this childlike joy like and not in a lack of maturity way but in a way that He lived this abundant life that I think we read about in Scripture but don't really think can happen. And He walked the way Jesus walked, and He saw people for who they were and not for what they did or for something that He expected or wanted from them, and He brought life everywhere He was and without expecting anything in return. Both my sisters and I and their boyfriends and, and a couple of our good couple friends went down there for the long weekend for my sister's birthday to celebrate, and it's just one of those freak accidents that you don't know how to explain. I mean, we had been out on the boat, you know, we all loved to fish, and we had gone to eat dinner and dance. There was a band and da-da-da, and we, we had a little shower, you know, like you have in Florida while we were there, nothing crazy and went back to get on the boat to go home and it was slick so he like a gentleman stepped up to try to help one of our girlfriends on the boat just slipped on the steps the wrong way and fell back you know 10 or so feet hit his head and you know he was conscious for about 24 hours which which in retrospect was such a kindness from the lord because i got to sit with him he got to talk to me i mean it was not Full sentences, but we could converse, and he he knew who I was, and you know all the little things like hold your hand the same way, and like pop my fingers, and you know got to tell me that he loved me, and and I obviously told him I love him too, and everything's gonna be fine. And then overnight, that first night, they called and had to go in and do the first brain surgery, and you know, from there it was eleven, twelve days in the ICU, and you know medicated coma and another brain surgery. So it was it was this long. I don't know that we ever anticipated it to be fatal. I mean, I know I didn't. And at the end of the day, what we were praying for Ben happened. Like we kept praying, make him be healed and whole. And he is, he's just with Jesus, you know, and that's the most healed and whole you can be, but it is very difficult. And I know this is why a lot of people struggle in suffering is that God could have stopped it. And on paper, we did all the things we were supposed to do, quote unquote, to get the miracle, but we didn't. After he passed, I was open about the situation and my struggles and my faith. Pretty quickly, I don't think it was so much a conscious choice as it was just this desire for other people to see the light and for this desire for Ben and I's marriage, which we prayed over all the time to be a light to people, to continue to be that even if his part of it had ended you know my part was going to keep going the only thing that really brought solace and peace and really reinstilled trust in the lord and his plan is that every day i had to surrender something you know whether it was okay i'm gonna i'm gonna actually up some of his clothes or whether that was, okay, I'm going to surrender to you that I don't know how to fix this. And you know you write those. I wrote them on a little page and literally put them in my Jesus Calling book. That way every morning, even when I didn't feel like it, I would say, okay, Lord, these are yours. I can't handle it. I can't control it. I can't fix it. And I know you can, and I know you will, and I trust you to do it.
0: Television personality,
1: Rosie Rivera.
2: I wanted to preach the Word of God, and I wanted my sister to do it with me. So her and I would talk randomly, and I'd dream with her, and she'd hear me out. And I'd say, hey, sister, one day you and I are going to preach the Word of God together, and I'm going to preach, and you're going to sing, and then maybe, hey, I'll even try singing and you preach. And I honestly didn't think I could do it without her. I wasn't famous. I didn't know how millions of people would know I existed, much less care about who I was. So I thought only with my sister will they care who I was. But when my sister started finding fame, she shared it with us in a beautiful way. She was so giving with the spotlight. She thought we were all superstars. She's so beautiful. I speak in the present of her because... She has reconciled with Christ a week before she died, and so I know that because Christ resurrected, she and we will resurrect and I'll see her again. But she shared it with us. She never stopped telling me she loved me. She took that prophet's word for truth, and and every single day would tell me she loved me. And her fame spread out to everyone. The day that she died, my whole world changed, and I was angry. I was angry that she had died, and I was angry that my privacy was taken away. I was shaken to the core because the plan that I had made couldn't work anymore. I still miss her, and I think I always will. But I didn't die without her. I thought I would. I thought I would go back to drugs and alcohol. I told her I would if she ever died. I told her I'd go crazy, and I didn't. I stand by the grace of Christ. I smile when I have a reason to smile. He is still my joy. And I know now more than ever I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because I have found to be content in every area of my life at every time of my life.
0: Country music songwriter Casey Beathard and his sons, musician Tucker Beathard and NFL player CJ Beathard
3: that night was a uh, just one of those worst nightmare nights we it's one of those things we had we've gotten that call several times throughout our our lives you know an after midnight call that you don't want to get clay it was his first night home from college and it was his friend he said he told me what happened and uh and i was my heart just sank and the way he made it sound, he's like, yeah, he's, they're rushing to the hospital right now.
4: Every word and every sentence they said that didn't end with, he's gonna be okay, it was just like delaying me and never, like just sitting there like, you know, as soon as it was obvious that he was saying like, couldn't fix his wound or his, his heart, you know, couldn't repair like it was too late or whatever. I remember I- That was it. I'd, I got I, I stood up and Yeah, he was gone. Walked out and as I was walking out, like I'll never forget you. <laughs> I just heard you being like, no. The only thing that possibly got us through this is, is at the end of the day, our core foundation. We were all at least rooted with the mindset of knowing only way to get through this which is diving in and, and asking jesus and relying on the lord to handle so it was like that was the core foundation that we all knew in our family
3: when you start realizing this is not all there is even as christians then you have to go reaching and digging deeper and we started we hunkered down and our house turned into a church ever since clay left uh Every Tuesday night, basically. Yeah, we always we started the family Bible study, and and these guys, it's it's changed. It's it's been awesome. Like, Tucker will call on a Friday night. He'd go, like, "Hey, who's down for a Bible study tonight?" And it's like five in the afternoon. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm going. We're having a Bible study tonight mm-hmm. because He wants to. I mean, it's just, that's crazy. That would well, never like our, have happened It's before. like our favorite part of the week. And then, so we were just feeding off each other about who God is and w- what He really has for you. And, and all of a sudden, the despair turned into some gigantic hope. We were still beat up, sad, and we're never going to get over that. But there's, But it's all in hope.
0: Beth Nemo, a mother who lost her daughter in the Columbine school shooting tragedy.
5: Well, Rachel was the middle of my five children, and there was always something very special about her. She attracted people. (laughs) It was just a charisma about her from the beginning of her life. And at 12, she became spirit-filled, and it transformed her purpose and her destiny. She became very aggressive in her desire to be a witness for the Lord and to her peers and befriend and reach out to the broken and the left out people around her and became known at her school as Not an evangelist, per se, because she wasn't religious, but she was very spiritual, and she met people where they were, and God just used her in a powerful way. So she left a positive influence, as well as the writings and the drawings that corresponded with her faith walk. We started seeing what God had been doing behind the scenes in her life with her writings and the prophetic element that was there where she prophesied her own death. And all of a sudden, it wasn't about the shooters anymore. It was about God's purposes. The shooters were instruments of devastation that day. And the two shooters obviously bought into the lie that life wasn't important. They didn't have any value, and they wanted to go out in a blaze of glory, you know, uh, for the boys, they ended up in the same box that the other 13 victims ended up in. You know what I'm saying? There was nothing redemptive for them out of, out of that. I think when you're at your darkest point, you need, you need life, and the Word brings life no matter where you're at or what's going on. I think Rachel herself gave us the courage to move forward. She left such a platform of redemption that it would have been a complete disobedience for us to crawl into a shell and be bitter, unforgiving, and just hide our pain. I think even as believers, we're almost afraid to say I forgive because we think it's a pass for what happened and I, I think when we view forgiveness more from a point of I want to be redeemed from this I want to be restored from this and hopefully the abuser or the perpetrator would also experience that but we're not responsible for them I'm able to forgive because I'm not making that a life sentence. What happened that day was a life sentence. We don't get overs on that. It's just it's giving yourself permission to move forward and to let the Lord heal the pain.
6: Author Bo Stern. My husband was in sales most of his life and then in ministry for about the last eight, ten years. He loved being in business and being able to take his relationship with God into a really hurting world. We've been married 25 years. He was 40. Uh, he was 48, and we had been married a while. And he started to just not. He was losing weight. He had been working out a lot, and so I thought that was probably it. And then one day he came home and said, "My golf swing is 40 yards short. There is something off." And not everyone can gauge their health by their golf swing, but my husband could. So we went to a neurologist in September of 2010, and he said then the first time said the words, I think this might be a motor neuron disease, and then It took five months. ALS is very difficult to diagnose, and there aren't any tests that show you have it. There are just kind of tests that eliminate everything else. So it took us another five months until about February when he got the official diagnosis of ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Nothing like a looming ALS diagnosis will set you on your spiritual feet and say, you better get it together, sister, you know, but... Sometimes I I remember getting up and getting with my journal and just telling Jesus, You got the wrong girl. I'm not enough for this. I can't emotionally watch the man I love die like this, and I I can't handle the demands of this disease. It was living in this life-or-death mode all the time and crisis around every corner, and trying to walk my children through that was just really demanding and really challenging. He was incredible. He fought that battle with so much honor, but it was hard to watch. And sometimes in the process—I was his full-time caregiver until about probably five months before he died. Then we hired a couple of people to help. One morning he woke up, and I got him out and got him into his wheelchair and did all the stuff we did to get him ready for the day, and I could just tell he was in and out. And then he went into distress at about 11 a.m. that morning. and We had a caregiver here, and she called me into the room, and it just happened that all my kids were here and home. And I had been for four years saving his life, like going into rescue mode. And I knew this was it, and it was so hard to hold that part back. But I felt God just say, Help him home. So I just leaned in close to him in his wheelchair, and I started telling him all the things that he had meant to us and the way he had lived his life that was so beautifully and all he was, he had accomplished. And It is amazing to look back from the other side and see God's flawless care of us, even though it was just brutal. I tell people the only thing you can control is inhale-exhale. So make sure you're inhaling the compassion and grace you need from God and from other people, and make sure you're also exhaling out compassion for other people—compassion that doesn't always circle around what you've experienced. When someone tells you about something they're going through, you don't have to automatically bring that back to what you've been through. Just let them receive from you, receive grace, even if it's just silence, but they're receiving from you. And I think that's all we can do is inhale, exhale, and everyone is at a different level of being able to do that. God has already been to all the minutes that you will face, and He's made provision there. And you may not know it right now or see it right now, but you'll see it when you get there. So I think in the holidays especially is a time where we have to be willing to live in the moment with the provision that God's made for us and trust Him with the minutes that will come. Pastor Jonathan Pitts
7: so and I met in college, I remember uh, walking out of my dorm and seeing this girl walk by me. And I didn't know who she was, but she was beautiful to me. So two weeks after we graduated from college and June 27, 2003, we would walk the aisle and get married. And we'd be married for 15 years and 27 days. And what's beautiful is I didn't know the gem that I was marrying then. Like I didn't know how, f- how much I was upgrading at that point. It would take me kind of years to discover just the level of woman that I married. And that last third of life together, not only did we consider each other best friends, but I'd also, we'd work in ministry together. We'd launch our ministry together and we'd write together and we'd you know be raising our girls together in a way that was just beautiful. We just had this progression. And I think that's really, honestly, for me, like the beautiful thing of our marriage wasn't that it was perfect, but it was progressional. And because we were intentional as a couple, that we had progression in terms of our love for each other, our relationship with each other. And we just grew in depth together. And so I'm just grateful for that, really, really grateful for that. But on July 24th, 2018, she was writing her last book. I was finishing up my last week at the Urban Alternative, the organization I'd run for the last seven years. When I came home from work, um, we had actually already sold our house in Dallas, we'd already moved to Nashville, and we were staying at her cousin's house, Priscilla, she had uh, a house that she had moved out of that was still furnished, and we were staying there. And she texted me and said, I don't feel good, but I really need you to step up tonight because I need to get this book done. So I knew that she was just wanting to get this book done, kind of had that deadline on her. And So I just came home. It was a normal night for us in the sense that, you know, in the summertime, like when our kids are home and we're working, she would have like this need to just kind of lay down for a little bit. So she went and laid down. I came home, I cooked dinner and I knew she was going to write that night. And she laid down and I prepared dinner and I went in the room and said, Hey babe, do you want to eat? She's like, no, I just think I need to lay here a little bit longer. And... So went back out finished dinner and um, basically the bottom line is as she was taking a nap she had some sort of a a heart rhythm issue and that heart issue would basically give her an irregular heartbeat that wouldn't be sustainable to sustain her life but what i'd love to think about for her is that she really left this earth as peacefully as uh, she lived in it her heart stopped like in a moment and her brain would have stopped receiving oxygen and she left the earth in a hurry. And although I didn't get to say goodbye to her, in some ways, I'm really, I think, grateful for that because to know that she didn't really suffer and that she would just leave with very little pain and ease just makes me feel really really thankful. I'm one of the most pragmatic guys you'll probably ever interview. I remember thinking within hours of her passing away, like, okay, I got this. Like, not I got this, like things are going to be perfect, but I got this, like I can do this. Like, Almost like pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You got four girls to raise, you got this, you have got that. So my mind went really pragmatic right away. And so one of the things my counselor said to me, he said, Look, Jonathan, he's like, the bottom line is, he's like, some people have a tendency to stay in the past and to belabor what they've lost, and other people have the tendency to run forward. And he's like, Your tendency is to rush forward. And he's like, But God exists in the present. So you need to remain in the present. That's the only place you can be with him. And that's the only place you can really live and live in reality. And so for me, grieving well means living in the present and not trying to run down the road too far and think about, okay, what's next here? What's next there? How am I gonna do this? How am I gonna do that? So in a lot of ways for me to grieve well has meant for me to intentionally slow down. And the beautiful thing about him telling me that is I realized right away is that me doing that would allow my girls to grieve even better because with me being present, that allows me to be there for them.
0: Author and co-founder of Saddleback Church, Kay Warren.
8: One of the greatest joys of my life has been being a mom. And uh, we have three kids, Amy, Josh, and Matthew. And um, Josh and Amy are just amazing human beings. They've got little people themselves now. So I'm a grandma. It's the best thing in the world. Matthew, our youngest, we knew from a really early age that he was different than his siblings. He was seven when we really realized that all those things that had just been different and that we thought he would grow out of were actually a problem. So at seven, Matthew was diagnosed with depression and then from there, bless his heart, panic attacks and ADHD and early onset bipolar disorder and suicidal ideation when he was 12 and then obsessive compulsive disorder and body dysmorphic disorder and major depressive disorder and and then in the last year and a half before he passed away he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder so and a sleep disorder i mean he just his life was so difficult with so many challenges around mental illness and and they just didn't get better they just got worse and worse so when matthew declined and he did decline and eventually took his life on april 5th 2013. It was the worst day of my life. It was the day that I had dreaded, prayed would never happen, and and yet it did. We felt very helpless to change the trajectory of the way it seemed like Matthew was going. And when he died, we were faced with confronting on the deepest level ever, what do we really believe about God? What do we really believe about what he teaches? Is he truly good? I had come to that conclusion when I was learning how to choose joy, but when we lost Matthew, there was nothing that had ever challenged my faith to that. And I, in particular, lost hope for a while after he died. My hope had been that God would heal him, and God didn't heal him in the way that I expected, the way that I fervently prayed, begged pleaded with God, counted on verses, counted on um, Scripture, that isn't what happened. But you can't live without hope. And so I had to learn how to rebuild hope, how to rebuild that trust in God and His promises. And I remember so many times in the first weeks and months just saying, my life is ruined. It will never be good again. It can never be good. And what I would say to anybody who has experienced grief and loss and that sense that you have that your life is ruined and it can never be good again, I will tell you that life will never be the same again. That part is for certain. It will never be the same, but it can be good again. And God has this way of still working in those places where we feel ruined, where we feel like our lives have been shattered, and He does rebuild. My life is anchored on the belief that God can be trusted. I don't understand why Matthew had mental illness so severe from a little boy, from being a little, I don't understand that. I don't understand why we couldn't get all the help that we needed. I don't understand why he wasn't healed. I don't know. What I do know is that God holds those answers, and I'm content to let God hold those answers. I know he will tell me, and I know that one day I will see Matthew again. And if you are a family member, someone you love, is either maybe they don't recognize that they have an illness, or they are just so ill that they can't seek the help that they, maybe you have somebody who has a substance use disorder. I mean, there's so many things that get complicated in there. Reach out. Do not stay isolated. Seek help at your church. There's some great organizations. NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, is a great free resource so you can get tons of information. My website, kwarren.com, has all kinds of things that I've assembled that I didn't know how to find when I had a family member, but we've assembled them and they're easy and they're easy to access. So don't be alone, don't give up hope, and look for the resources and the help because there's always hope.
0: Kay closes this bonus episode by sharing a passage from Jesus Calling that we hope will comfort you if you are coping with grief.
8: I am leading you step by step through your life. Hold my hand in trusting dependence, letting me guide you through this day. Your future looks uncertain and feels flimsy, even precarious. This is how it should be. Secret things belong to the Lord and future things are secret things. When you try to figure out the future, you are grasping at things that are mine. This, like all forms of worry, is an act of rebellion, doubting my promise to care for you. Whenever you find yourself worrying about the future, repent and return to me. I will show you the next step forward, and the one after that, and the one after that. Relax and enjoy the journey in my presence, trusting me to open up the way before you as you go. Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of
0: the Jesus Calling Podcast. Be sure and subscribe to the Jesus Calling Podcast so you can hear the full stories from each of these guests. And also make sure you get these special bonus episodes each month. For more information on Jesus Calling and Sarah Young, please visit JesusCalling.com, or visit us on our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and
5: Twitter.